Well, I, I entitled the message this morning, Looking for Purpose, because as you'll see as we get to the end, I'm going to talk a little bit about purpose. But if I had it to re-entitle after I've been working on it the last kind of 48 hours, I think I would, say, I would start by titling it, Did He Really Just Say That? Uh, the gospel passage we're going to read this morning, if you read it honestly, if you hear what Jesus is saying if you take it seriously, there's some of you, there's something in all of us, there's, there's some of us, like some part of us that is going to say, did Jesus really just say that? So I thought I'd start, I got a couple jokes, they were in my archive of jokes, and I, I may have used these before, but they come under the heading, did he, did he really just say that? So... One wife said this, we were in a restaurant perusing the menu when I let my husband know that he rarely paid attention to me when I spoke. Well, of course, he disagreed, so we went back to reading our menus in chilly silence. After a few uncomfortable minutes, I said, I think I'm getting a headache. He responded, go ahead, sweetheart, get whatever you want. (laughs) Or how about this? We rushed our four-year-old son, Ben, to the emergency room with a terrible cough, high fever, and vomiting. The doctor did an exam and then asked Ben what bothered him the most. After thinking it over, Ben said hoarsely, I would have to say my little sister. There you go. Did he really just say that? Well, this isn't so funny, but there is a sense of, did Jesus really just say this? Luke chapter 6, verse 27, we're in what is called the Sermon on the Plain. We started this last week. Words of Jesus, but to you who are willing to listen, which I guess a few questions I'll pose to you this morning, but maybe that's the first question. Are you willing to listen this morning? Are you willing to listen to Jesus this morning? Jesus says this, I say, love your enemies. Did he really just say that? Yes, he did. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. We're going to work through the next 10 or 11 verses. I'll just kind of go chunk by chunk, say a few things about these verses, and then I have kind of two big reflections I had this week as I was sitting with the text. But we start here with this challenging message of loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you. It's challenging for a lot of reasons, but we talk a lot about are you being formed by Jesus or are you being formed by the other voices in the world what we refer to as modern-day Babylon. And in modern-day Babylon, you and I are being taught every day how to hate our enemies, not how to love them. We're always being formed, and in modern-day Babylon, we are being formed in the art and skill of hating our enemies. And Jesus is trying to form us into this way of love, which we'll talk a bit about this morning And what he's doing out of the gate here as we look at this passage is, in my mind, one of the things he's doing is he's removing all the loopholes. (laughs) Because we know there's something about this challenge of love that is going to call for more of us than we are without Jesus. And so we always try to find loopholes or ways to get around really having to love other people. And Jesus is just calling us to this higher standard, this higher plane, this higher level of living. 
But it should raise other questions, I think, if you're an honest listener, if you have ears to hear. (laughs) The first question that this should raise for you living in modern-day Babylon is, what is love? What what does it mean to love my enemy? What what is Jesus, and and we talk a lot about this, the, the ultimate definition of what love is is the person of Jesus. So we constantly say, if you want to grow in love, and we'll talk about growing in love, if you want to grow in love, if you want to learn to love, you've got to read the Gospels, get to know Jesus, see how he talks to people, see what he does in the presence of people, notice his posture, his paradigm, and his practices. We look to Jesus to define for us what love is. But I think the other question that you will ask yourself if you're honestly listening to what Jesus has to say is, this is hard. I don't really want to bless those who persecute me. I don't want to love people who hate me. And so you've got to ask the the honest question, what is it about Jesus that would actually compel me to follow him in this? (laughs) Which is a question I try to in some way, shape, or form raise every week for us to remind us about the beauty of Jesus, that there's nobody like Jesus. (laughs) That when you realize who Jesus is and what he's done, there's something there for you. Questions that you may be wrestling with. When I kind of said this last week, being a Christian definitely means believing Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and I think when we come to Christ, if you're new on the Christian journey, there's something about Jesus, the story of who he is. Maybe you've encountered the, the risen Christ in a powerful way in your own journey. And, there, and there's something, we believe in Jesus. We believe he's the truth. But part of being a disciple of Jesus is also, and I talked about this last week, believing that what Jesus says is also true. And so there's a lot of things that Jesus says, parables he tells, things things like this that are hard to accept up front, but we sit with them longer than we would with other things because it's Jesus who says it. And there's something so beautiful and pure about Jesus, it just forces us to get beyond ourselves and listen to what Jesus has to say. And this theme of loving, and I'll even from our benediction, I'll, I'll go from Romans 12, uh, the, the apostles, the early leaders in the church, Peter, Paul, James, they're going to repeat this stuff as they're trying to lead the church. They took it very seriously. Yeah, Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. He meant it. That's what they're going to say. Maybe a few other things. I, I read a, a couple different authors this week just trying to get my mind around this enemy love. What is, how do you talk about this? It's easy for me to, to, to kind of think about what is it, what isn't it. One author says this. The sort of love Christ calls us to engages far more than our emotions. Again, we, got, we have to get beyond some of our cultural definitions. It activates our will. Apart from any feelings, which few of us can control, real love means to will the good of another person. To love is to act in a manner that is in the best interest of another, even if the person resists the action. This means love may take forms that differ greatly from our cultural expectations. To love our enemy, therefore, is to actively seek what is in our enemy's best interest, even if he or she does not agree, which may explain why he or she is our enemy in the first place. 
Ultimately, this call to love our enemy is no different from the many other commands of Scripture. Jesus always insists that the citizens of his kingdom put the interests of others ahead of their own, even when that other person is our enemy. It's a theme that runs through the Bible. Or again, another way, maybe there's another way to think about it. A different author is talking about enemy love this way. Blessing your enemies is not about passively opening yourself to more harm or covering over harm and pretending everything is okay. Blessing your enemies is about refusing to be motivated by the same violence. And in that refusal, taking back some of the power and control that the enemy aims to consume. To bless your enemy is to not become like your enemy. To not become motivated by the same violence that they perpetrate against you. Because in some ways, that's what evil wishes to occur. For you to become like it, for you to have a mirroring of desire and act similar to itself. When you begin to bless your enemy, even though that is a complicated process, you're already saying... I will not be like you. I will not let my heart be drawn into the same level of violence as yours. And Jesus then begins to illustrate this. These are famous verses. Verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when they are taken away, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Again, these are hard sayings, but Jesus says it. Perhaps nothing in the Sermon on the Plain makes people more uncomfortable than Jesus' words against retaliation. The call to not resist the evil person, to turn the other cheek, and to give more than what is demanded all seem like nonsense to any sensible person. In fact, in the world we live in, anyone who would live this way, we are told, would never get ahead. Which is why I remind you, it's Jesus who's saying it. (laughs) And as followers of Jesus, we listen. Now, as I engage these verses a little bit, I want to say up front, because I think it's very important... God is opposed to oppression. It's a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. God is a liberator. And so as we get into this, if you, a few of us in the church just finished a book on abuse. And the theme of it was this theme of domination and oppression. And unfortunately, I hate even saying this, but if statistics are right, then a, a, a few of you listening in this morning, are in a relationship that is abusive. What I want to say to you is that we want to walk with you. Uh, You might need to listen to these verses a little bit differently because God is a God who is against oppression. I don't want you to misinterpret what Jesus is saying. And in fact, part of what was interesting to me as I read through this book on abuse and oppression and domination, I just kept seeing the theme of Babylon that runs all the way through the Bible. I've been trying to help us see it this theme of oppression and domination from Genesis to Revelation. And what I do want to say to hold out hope for you 
is Revelation 17 and 18 is an exciting, cha- is exciting chapters for people who experience oppression because the cry in Revelation is, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Because our God is a God of liberation and freedom. He is not calling you to be a doormat of oppression. I want that to be clear. Jesus is not asking you to stay in a place of oppression. He wants to liberate you. And as a church family, we know it will be difficult, but we want to try to walk with you. I want to remind you that enabling people to be the worst version of themselves is not loving them. It is never loving or good for a person's soul if we give them everything they want when they are self-entitled or self-focused. Just wanted to say that up front. But let's get into what I think Jesus then is saying. He's saying when someone slaps you with the way the world is currently arranged, they expect you to slap them back. They expect you to retaliate, but Jesus is asking you, no, don't retaliate, turn the other's cheek. The first strike maybe comes out of nowhere, you don't see it coming, but as you Instead of striking back, as you turn, you've you got to imagine this. You make eye contact with the person who just hit you, and then you say, do you want to do it again? Do you understand? It's this metaphorical picture, but as you make eye contact with the offender, what you are trying to do is remind them that you are a human being too. You're trying to invite them to remember some sense of justice and mercy that is somewhere hidden in them as they are made in the image of God. And then you give them a chance. Are you sure you want to do that again? Because here's your chance to repent. Here's your chance to step into a new world of life. Turning the other cheek is an invitation to life. And you are blessing your enemy by not becoming like your enemy. Now, sometimes people read this, and I, and I have at points, too, read this and thought, does that mean I do nothing, Jesus? You tell me to turn the other cheek, it just sounds like I do nothing, right? But here's what I will tell you. Jesus says this over and over and over. You have to be both a hearer and a doer of the word. And some of these lessons that Jesus teaches, you might not like this. I don't always like this, but you can't just learn it because I preached it. And you don't always just learn it because you read it in a book or even because you read it in the Bible. You actually have to try to live it. And I promise you, if you're in a situation where somebody is unkind to you and you choose the Jesus path and you don't retaliate, you don't repay evil with evil, you will learn that in order for you to do it, it is not doing nothing. (laughs) It is very much doing something. When it's doing something with Jesus, you almost only can do this because of Jesus with you. You need him. It's not doing nothing. There's another way of saying this. I think I've said this before, but there really are, if evil's going to win, there's really two movements of evil for evil to win. For evil to triumph, there's, there's two movements that have to happen. First, there is the movement of the perpetrator that begins the evil. But evil hasn't won just because someone's perpetrated evil. Evil wins when we retaliate evil with evil because we infuse it with new life and we keep the parasite spreading. 
That's how evil works in the world. And really, it's, it's one of the beauties of the cross, of the crucifixion, of the story of Jesus. There's, there's so many metaphors that we learn in the Bible about what Jesus is doing on the cross. And I, I'm hoping as we get into Lent in a few weeks that we will have an opportunity. I haven't looked at all the texts yet, but we're going to spend time in Lent. You know, we'll be focusing on the cross and the kinds of things that happen there because many things happened on the cross. But if we're talking about evil, if we're viewing the cross through the lens of evil, one of the ways to think about what happened on Good Friday is that all the evil that really has ever been perpetrated, past, present, and future, was pooled into this pinnacle moment, and however you want to talk about it, but nailed into the body of Jesus. All of evil was projected, blamed, accused, sent into the person of Jesus, and he voluntarily took it. And he didn't retaliate. And this is why we have victory in Christ, because Jesus takes all of that evil into the grave with him, and he exhausts it of all its power. You could say evil runs out of steam on the And Jesus comes back with new life, resurrected life, forgiveness, love, and mercy, and new creation. At the cross, human sin is gathered up into Jesus. And Jesus conquers sin and rises victorious over evil. And we'll put it back into how I've been trying to help us think about the church calendar. We're doing the church calendar this year. It's probably the only year we'll do it like we're doing it. But maybe I'll remind you of it in the future Because we're teaching the church calendar as a discipleship tool. And I want to keep reminding you, how does this work? How how is this a tool for my discipleship? Well, we start with Advent. And it's a time of waiting. Because we all go through seasons where we're waiting on God. I know every one of us can look at the last two years and be like, Yep, I was waiting on God here. I'm still waiting on God. But the point of practicing the church calendar, if you do it every year, you know what you learn? It's formed into you. You can't forget that after every Advent comes Christmas. Christmas always comes after Advent. So if you're waiting on God, He always comes. And after every Christmas is Epiphany. And so he's revealing himself to you. And he's manifesting his presence among you. And he's making himself known. But we're about to get to the next season. The next season is Lent. And it, I was just thinking, it's just exactly what you see in, in the disciples' story. It's Peter's story. We're, we're going we're gonna to come alive to Jesus. Christmas comes. He's, he's manifesting his presence. We're learning about who he is. We're so excited. Jesus is going to say, who do you say that I am? We're going to say, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Amen. You're resurrected from the dead. Jesus is going to be like, all right, come with me. We've got to suffer. And we're going to be just like Peter. I'm not suffering. I'm a winner, Jesus. I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose. Here's the thing, after Christmas and after Epiphany, when God comes, he makes himself known, then he teaches us what it means to take up our cross. (laughs) After Epiphany always comes Lent. And you and I are reminded that love involves suffering and sacrifice. But guess what? There has never been a good Friday that wasn't followed by Easter. (laughs) So we have new life, resurrection life. And so I can tell you, we're going to walk this Jesus path. We're going to learn to wait. He's going to come. He's going to make himself known. But then we're going to take up our cross and we will suffer. But we will never be truly harmed. 
you will suffer, but you will not be truly harmed. Jesus will, he will be with you. He will protect you. He will strengthen you. He will heal you. That's the good news of Easter. That's what we're working through as we go through the church calendar. Sometimes as a pastor, not always, but sometimes in pastoral counseling, as people come to talk to me, Jeff, I'm suffering, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving, I'm enduring, I'm persevering, I'm practicing patience, and it hurts, I'm following Jesus, and it hurts, and I'm suffering, why? And sometimes it's hard for me, because I get this little, like, sheepish grin, <laughs> and I know they're, like, hurting and upset, and I get this sheepish grin, and I'm like, oh, I want to, I just got to explain my grin, I am sad with you, I know this is hard, but you're living the Jesus life. Don't you see? You're carrying your cross. This is what it means. You maybe you're on the narrow road. You're on the narrow road. The broad road is easy. Everybody can do that. Few people choose, and you've chosen the narrow road. Don't you see it? You're finding life in Jesus. This is what it looks like. You'll suffer, but you won't be harmed. Easter is always coming. All right, these next, two, these next few verses, I think, they're just fun to think about. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And, and the people listening in Jesus' day would probably think, oh, prostitutes, tax collectors, the Gentiles, they're the sinners. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Each, even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. <laughs> it's pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. And we're close enough to the city of Chicago. I think I've said this before because I heard another pastor say it once, but it makes me laugh. If you do good to those who do good to you, what is that to you? Even the mafia does that. You're not special. Don't pat yourself on the back because you love somebody who loved you. Even the mafia does that. Everybody does that. No, Jesus is inviting you into a new way of being human. It's radically different. How are you any different than anyone else if you treat with kindness and dignity only those who like you or agree with you? You're no different than anyone else. And Jesus is inviting you into another way. Verses 35 to 36 just in case you missed it, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid, and then your reward from heaven will be very great. There is a reward, we'll talk about that. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, listen to this, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father, your Heavenly Father. His compassion. So here we get Jesus' read. Why would you love your enemies? Why would you do it? So you can be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. That's why. So you can be like God because God is like this. You'll be like your heavenly Father. I've been saying this a little bit more frequently, but in the struggle for identity, I can't help it when we talk about being children of the King. In the struggle for identity, you and I are often told, well, just look deep inside of yourself and whatever you feel, whatever you, whatever you desire, just express it and you'll discover who you are. I keep trying to tell you, that's not what the Bible says. No, 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 no. Look to your heavenly father. That's who, you're made in the image of that. That's who you want to be. Be like God. 
Then you'll discover who you truly are. Let, let God name you. Don't try to name yourself. That is where you'll find the fulfillment that your soul is longing for. Jesus doesn't call us to love our enemies out of an abstract ethic or because the world will be a better place. It will be a better place, but that's not why Jesus calls us to do it. Jesus calls us to love our enemies because our Father in heaven loves the good and the bad. God loves the just and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous. And Jesus is calling us to be like our Father. And if you can learn to give mercy to your enemy, you're learning to be like Jesus. You and I seek reconciliation, not because we feel so much better afterward, but because reconciliation is what God is doing in the world through Christ. And we want to partner with Him. All right, our final two verses this morning. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. We'll talk a little bit about the beauty of this. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Well, what is Jesus saying here? I was thinking about this. Sometimes judge and you'll be judged. I was was thinking, you know, that's one of the most obvious things I think Jesus has ever said. (laughs) I mean, it's just what happens in humanity. If you can think back, and it probably wasn't that long ago, the last time you felt judged by somebody else. What is the first thing that you want to do when you feel judged by somebody else who isn't perfect? You want to judge him right back, don't you? How do you say that about me? Let me tell you a few things about you. And if you've forgotten, just get online. Read any post and any set of comments. You judge me, I'm judging you right back. That's just what happens. And again, it's part of what Jesus is saying. You're just giving evil more life, more life, more life. Jesus says, or you can forgive. Or you can forgive. The two, kind of the two reflections that I had this morning on this text, and maybe the Holy Spirit will lead you down other roads. There's way, there's way more roads you could go down with this. But as I was thinking about these verses, the two things that came to mind are the beauty of this kind of life. I know it's a high calling. I know it's challenging. I know we don't always want to live this way. But I, 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 I bet most of us, maybe all of us would say, wow, when I hear stories of this kind of love, it's beautiful. That's a beautiful life. And if I imagine a lot of people living this way, that's beautiful. One author says this, this God, this God is different. It's beautiful. If you and I lived in a society where everyone believed in this God, think about it. There wouldn't be any violence. There wouldn't be any revenge. There wouldn't be any divisions of class or caste. Property and possessions wouldn't be nearly as important as making sure your neighbor was all right. Imagine if even a few people around you took Jesus seriously and lived like that. Life would be exuberant. Life would be different. Life would be astonishing. Life would be beautiful. I mean, that's kingdom life. 
And, and one of the shocking things to me as I've gotten to know Jesus more and more, I always knew that Jesus was offering me eternal life. I got that. I figured that out early on. I, I don't want to die. And somehow in Christ, he forgives my sins. I can live forever. But as I began to sit with Jesus longer and longer, I realized Jesus was like, well, why wait till you die to start living? This is the pattern. This is the path to life now. Start living it now. Live it now. Live it with me. I'm with you. I won't forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus is trying to preach to us, teach us the way love triumphs over every enemy. This is why it's good news. It's hard to hear and it's challenging, but it's good news. Jesus is teaching us the triumph of love over greed, love over hate, love over lust, love over selfishness, love over violence. I want you to just reflect. This is just some of, this isn't all the beauty. It's just some of the beauty. Evil will cast you into a story where you are forced to play the role of victim you didn't ask for or deserve. We've all dealt with evil at some point. We've been, we've been cast into the story we didn't ask for. We're a victim in a story we don't deserve. And the truth is that can be the end of the story. It's just a story filled with villains and victims, and evil wins. But, but Jesus is inviting you into a different story. What Jesus is saying is if you learn to forgive as you've been forgiven, I mean, that's the big piece. That's the only reason you can do it. You would never have the imagination to do this if Jesus hadn't already done it for you. You were evil and wicked, and he forgave you. And because he forgave you, now you've learned something. And if you learn to forgive, you get to take back your story. Forgiveness allows you to write an ending where evil is overcome by good. And it's not just a story of villains and victims. Now there's heroes. And you can call them saints or you can just call them Christians because this is what it means to follow Jesus. Another way of talking about this beauty is that loving your enemy and forgiving, it doesn't erase the tragedy. I mean, we don't want to be naive about evil. And we don't want to overlook the consequences of it. It's very real. Love and forgiveness does not erase the tragedy. But here's what I will offer you. And it might not even make sense until, you, until again, you become a hearer and a doer. Forgiveness doesn't erase the tragedy, but it does transcend it. And if you begin to practice forgiveness, if you become someone who looks like your heavenly father, you will learn what I mean. It may take some time, but you will begin to learn what I mean. Because as you learn to forgive and love, be compassionate and merciful, evil no longer gets the last word. Evil comes, but evil is overcome by good. And though you've been touched by evil, evil does not get to name you or define you. Your heavenly Father names you and defines you. And you entrust yourself to Him. You no longer try to be in control. You let Him be in control. And you just see the amazing grace and good that He works. Forgiveness and enemy love means refusing to engage with evil on its terms. And it's not easy, but Jesus is with you. And because Jesus is with you, the possibility is always there. 
Now, one of the things we talk about frequently at Crossview is it doesn't just happen. You have to be formed in this. That's why we call our discipleship pathway formed. You have to be formed in this. This is who God is. And thus, if we are following Jesus, this is who we are becoming. It's not something that we can do on our own. We have to do this together with Jesus. It's beautiful. I mean, the only reason you're going to choose this life is because you believe it's beautiful. Because you have looked at what God has done for you in Christ and you say, that's the most beautiful thing anyone's ever done for me. And wow, that would be hard, but I want to live a life that beautiful. I mean, imagine living life and feeling like your life is beautiful. It's available for you in love, which is the next thing I want to say. I think this, this is a challenging message from Jesus, but I also think it's beautiful. And I do think as we're kind of trying to to get through these last two years, and many of us have dealt with despair and hopelessness and boredom, and, and we're just meandering, we're drifting. I want to challenge us this morning to re-engage this kind of love because I, I actually think it will reinvigorate your life with deep purpose. <laughs> Even as I was preaching this morning, I just, I know they're kind of like graphic scenes in TV shows and movies, but when someone's heart stops beating and they take those things and they pop them on the chest and they shock you with electricity to get your heart beating again. Some of us have drifted and, and we're just, we're meandering. We, we, we're just stagnant. And I think if you try to be a hearer and doer of this kind of love, you're going to get shocked with life again. <laughs> and you're going to find meaning and purpose. I mean, that's some of the, I mean, the reward is you get to know Jesus. That's the reward. But the fruit of that reward is you're gonna, your life is going to be rich and meaningful. You're going to do things you didn't know. You're going to see yourself going. You're growing. You're going to be transformed. You're going to have purpose. You're not going to be bored. You're going to know why you're here and who you are. So as we, as we kind of start thinking, I've got, I've got one more thing I want to say here as it ties to this. How do we move forward with this? And maybe for some of you, you, I mean, I, I, I read the passage, I don't know, 30 minutes ago. I read Love Your Enemy, and you immediately thought of three faces. <laughs> oh, I know who my enemy is. I have no idea how I'm going to love them, but I know who my enemy is. But maybe some of you are like, I'm having trouble thinking of my I Just let the Holy Spirit lead you on that. The Holy Spirit, if you, if you know who your enemy is, just work with the Holy Spirit. What, 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 is, what might he ask you? to do this week so that you can will their good. But I have a feeling for most of us, we might have trouble thinking about exactly who our enemy is, or maybe there's so many people we can't choose, I don't know. So I thought I'd have one, one way of getting us started. How do, we, how do we become formed in this? And you shouldn't, don't, don't get too hard on yourself if you're like, I can't do this right now. Let me, just, that's why I love the Gospels. What do James and John say to Jesus after they've been walking with him for a while? Is today the day we call down fire on our enemies? Hate those Samaritans. Can we burn them up today, Jesus? He's just like, you guys don't get it. But they do. They will. So maybe, you're, maybe, you're, maybe today you're calling down fire. You're just like James and John. But how do you then become someone who lives with this kind of purpose and beauty? And I was, I was thinking about this. Uh, in Luke's gospel, he's going to move on to other things. But in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have a parallel passage. I told you, Jesus taught this on more than one occasion. 
And I was reflecting, the way he goes out of enemy love in Matthew is to begin chapter 6, he starts talking about loving in secret, right? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is giving away. And I was just trying to reflect, because I think Jesus is brilliant. Is there anything there, Jesus? Is that, is that maybe one of our first steps? And I was thinking, well, only, only, don't let anyone else know, because the only person that matters is your Father in heaven. Right? There's something about if we're going to be formed to be this kind of person, then we really do have to get to this place where I had a former pastor who would talk about living before an audience of one. That, that we begin to practice loving in secret. We don't, we don't need the attention of others because we only care that God is seen. That's enough. And I think, I think, I think if we can begin to learn that, I think that's the gateway into learning how to love our enemy. I, I think this is from Jesus. But I also thought I'd read. I get a devotional every, every week uh, from Sky Jatani. And I was thinking about this, and he sa- I thought this was actually super interesting in light of this. If, if I'm inviting you to, to practice loving in secret this week, think about this and how countercultural it is. This is what Sky Jatani said this week. In 2016, Mumbai, India established 16 no-selfie zones across the city after a series of deadly accidents. Mumbai is not alone. The Washington Post has reported that nearly 300 people have died in recent years while attempting to take selfies. The data suggests drowning to be the most common cause of death, followed by vehicles, falling, firearms, animal attacks, and electrocution. It appears our desire to be seen by others is killing us. We all want our lives to matter, but in our celebrity culture, we've come to believe that we only matter if we are noticed. And and the more we are noticed, the more we matter. This deep insecurity is the volatile rocket fuel that powers social media. We post our selfies longing for someone, anyone to take notice, care about us, and like us. We may browse posts or streaks for hours, but what we're really searching for is someone to tell us, I see you and you matter. In the selfie culture, we must hear Jesus' reminder that what it is done in secret is what matters most. Real intimacy, whether with another person or with God, requires privacy and shuns publicity. This is why Jesus calls us to conduct our love, our fasting, and our praying without being noticed by others. Constantly seeking the approval of others is a form of spiritual death by selfie. Instead, he invites us to discover a deeper, more meaningful life in privacy with God. We don't need others to notice us in order to matter. When God is our greatest desire, he becomes the only witness we need. And your Father who sees in secret, Jesus said, will reward you. So maybe some of you have in mind already an enemy and you're you're thinking through ways to love that person. But But for the rest of us, what I want to invite you this week to do is to set up no selfie zones in your life. And to love, I mean, find meaning and purpose. Whoever God has set in front of you right now, in this moment, love them. Find a way to love them and do it in a way where the only person that matters, audience of one, is your Father in heaven. And you'll focus on him and you'll remember that he is compassionate and you are called to be compassionate as he is compassionate. And the reward will be great. You'll know Jesus. I mean, life in Jesus goes on forever, but you'll begin to to, to experience a life that is deeply fulfilling. 
a life that brings peace and joy. Uh, instead of insecurity, you will have what I like to call a humble confidence in Jesus. You will rediscover hope and faith. You'll rediscover purpose. If you live this way, love whoever is right in front of you, I, I believe it will reinvigorate your life. It will enlighten your imagination. It will be good for you. And kind of as one more kind of tool to kind of help you get there, we have, and maybe you grabbed it there by the bulletins, and if you're online, if you email me, I'll send it to you. If you email me this morning, I'll send it before I leave. If you email me later tonight, you might not get it till Tuesday. But we just kind of put together this, this list, this brainstorming of acts of kindness. There's nothing magical about this. But I invite you to just kind of read through it. It's such a variety of things. Maybe, maybe one of these will stick out to you, or maybe you'll come up with something on your own. But do at least one thing this week intentionally because you're a follower of Jesus in secret. Do it in private. Do it so nobody else knows. Go to bed at night laughing with the Father. Only you and I know. Only you and I know. And know that he's smiling. Because <laughs> you're seeking to be who you were always meant to be. You're living out your identity as a child of our Heavenly Father. <laughs> it's a hard message, but it's good news, right? It's good news. Something you and I could never do on our own, but it's still the most beautiful life we could ever imagine. And Jesus has come to make it possible for you and I to live it. Because he wants us to flourish. He wants us to know this love and to share it with a world that is desperately longing to know this love too. So let's pray. Help us, O oh Lord. To remember the blessed life that you lived out on this common earth, under these ordinary skies. May we take this memory into each task and duty of today. Help us to remember your eagerness to help others rather than be helped. Your compassion with suffering of every kind. Your courage in the face of your own suffering. Your gentleness toward others. So that when you were abused, you did not retaliate. Your steadiness of purpose and keeping to your appointed task. Your simplicity, your self-discipline, your peace. Your complete reliance upon the Father in heaven. In each of these ways, give us grace to follow you in your footsteps. As we take up our own cross, die to self. And awaken to new resurrection life. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.